The scripture on which the sermon is based comes from Isaiah 11, and this is what it says. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and of understanding, a spirit of counsel and of might, a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion, and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand in the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all of my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. This passage is one of the prophecies in the Old Testament that foretell the coming of the Messiah. And in the Bible, the Messiah is the anointed ruler whom God promised He would one day send into the world to establish an everlasting kingdom and to restore all things. That's the, uh, the Messiah. And in this passage, there, I just want to point out two things that we, that we see about the Messiah. We see the mystery of who He is, the mystery of who He is, and we see the mission He came to fulfill. Those two thoughts, the, the mystery and the mission of the Messiah. So you see a lot of mystery here. The, the Messiah, as He's described in this passage, is portrayed as a very mysterious figure. Uh, verse 1 says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. And we say, who is Jesse? Some so of you know Jesse was the father of King David. Jesse is King David's father. And so uh, it's as if Isaiah is saying here, listen, the Messiah will it'll be like a branch that someday grows from David's family tree. In other words, it's just a prediction that the Messiah will be a descendant of King David. And that, that idea was nothing new for the people of Isaiah's day. They had, they had known for centuries, it had been told, everyone expected that one of David's descendants would one day rise to his throne and establish this worldwide everlasting kingdom as the Messiah. So the people hearing this in Isaiah's time, they would have said, yes, we know that. We know that the Messiah will be a branch from David's family tree, right? But then, mysteriously, in verse 10... They, they hear Isaiah say that the Messiah will not just be a branch that grows from David's tree. He says that Messiah will also be the root 
from which David's tree grows. He's not just the shoot out of the stump, he's the root of the tree. Verse 10, he says, in, in that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples, the nations will rally to him. So it, it's kind of mysterious, right? Um, in verse 1, he says, is the shoot from Jesse, and then in verse 10, he says, no, 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 he's the root from which Jesse grows. He comes from David's line, but in some sense, he precedes David's line. I wonder if they were just so confused when they heard this. It would be like if, me, if I were to say, hey, did you know that my grandson is my grandfather? You know, like, what? That doesn't, doesn't make any sense. And, and, and the mystery of this is it's similar to something we read in the, in the book of the prophet Micah. In Micah chapter 5, Micah predicts that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. That someday in this little town of Bethlehem, a baby will be born, that baby will be the Messiah, and yet... Micah says of this one who will be born in Bethlehem, he says this, his origin is from antiquity, from eternity. Like just, it's so mysterious. The Messiah, the, the prophets are telling us he'll be born into a human family. And yet they say this, this same Messiah existed long before this human family ever came to be. Now, in the New Testament, we're told that this prophecy is fulfilled by Jesus. Jesus is called, in Revelation 22, Jesus is called the root and the offspring of David. He's both the root and he's the branch that grows from the tree. He, so, he's born, Jesus was born into a family that genetically, if they had had 23 and me, back when Jesus was alive, they would have done the swab, they would have done the test. They would say, oh, genetically, you descend from King David. He was born into that family, right? And yet, Colossians 1 verse 7 says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You see the mystery here? So in, in, this, in this prophecy in Isaiah, it's, it's as if uh, verse 1 points to the, the Messiah's humanity. He's born into a human family. And then verse 10 points to the Messiah's divinity. This very human family comes from him. All things come from him. He precedes everything. He's, he's human. And somehow, mysteriously, he's spoken of as if he's divine. Very mysterious, right? So, something else that's mysterious here is what you see in verse 2. Verse 2 says, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on Him, on the Messiah, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now, if you were counting when I read that, um, and you probably weren't, but if you had been counting, you may have noticed there are, there are seven references there to the Spirit. He is the sp the, it's the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge, Spirit of the fear of the Lord, seven, all right? And, and so you say, big deal. Well, listen, to the Hebrew mind, that was a big deal. That was very, very significant. In ancient Hebrew thinking, they would have been counting off as, as they heard these words. And when they, when they realized seven? Seven references to the Spirit, it, it would have just kind of blown their minds. Why? Because it, to the ancient Hebrew thinking, seven is the number of fullness. The number of just symbolizes completeness. So by, um, by listing out seven references to the Spirit, it's as if Isaiah is just saying the fullness, the completeness of the Spirit 
will rest on Messiah. So Isaiah is saying, listen, when you think of Messiah, he's, he will be more than just a man running around doing God's work. He will be a man in whom the fullness of God's being resides. And again, in the New Testament, we're told that this is fulfilled by Jesus. Revelation 3 verse 1 describes Jesus as, quote, the one who has the seven spirits of God. I used to read, read that as a kid, like, what, seven? I, they were only told there's one Holy Spirit. What do you mean the seven spirits? It's pointing back to this prophecy. He's the one in whom the fullness of God resides. In fact, Colossians 2 verse 9 says this, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So you, you can see the mystery, right? It, Isaiah somehow is predicting the Messiah will come from David, and yet the Messiah precedes David. He's clearly a human being, and yet, yet mysteriously, the fullness of God resides in him. He's the God-man. That's the mystery of the Messiah. And, and did you know, maybe you do, but did you know that today, hundreds of thousands of Jewish people, some right here in this room, Hundreds of thousands of Jewish people all over the world believe with all their heart that this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 11 is fulfilled in Jesus, in Yeshua of Nazareth. It's, it's, he is the root and the offspring of David. He is the one in whom the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. You see the mystery of the Messiah. Isaiah also talks about the, the mission of the Messiah. Why, why does God send Messiah into the world? Why did Jesus come? Did this, listen, did Jesus come simply to teach us how to be good people? Or did Jesus come merely to get us into heaven when we die? Well, he does those things, right? But wow, Scripture says he comes to do so much more than that. Listen, the Messiah, remember, is a king. As a king, Messiah comes to establish a kingdom. In fact, in the New Testament, the very first words of the very first sermon Jesus ever preached, this is the first words of his public preaching ministry, were these. Mark 1, verse 15, he said, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. He, he came to proclaim a kingdom. And someone says, what kind of kingdom? Well, well, you'll notice here, Isaiah says the Messiah's kingdom will be a kingdom of justice. Verse 3 and 4, he says, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Another uh, Bible translation renders that he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. The Messiah's kingdom will be a kingdom of justice. Justice for whom? Isaiah says, justice for the poor. Now, it's, it's not uncommon today to hear politicians talk about their concern for the underprivileged. Maybe they'll even say they care about justice for the poor, justice for the poor, justice for the poor. And then you find out that these very same politicians themselves are multimillionaires, right? They, they, uh, with their words, they side with the poor, but they do so from a, from a great distance. Well, you know it was not like that with Jesus, was it? 
Not at all. When, when, when Messiah, Jesus, came into this world, he did not live in a mansion. He did not live in a palace. You know the story. He came into this world, the poor son of common peasants, born in poverty, raised in obscurity, reared in a small town, working at a common trade. He came, how? He came in weakness. But when he comes again, he will come in power, won't he? Jesus said in, John, in Matthew 24, he said, The Son of Man will come on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. When, when the Messiah comes uh, uh, again, and he will come again, he will come to judge the world. He will come to do what? He will come to bring justice. That's what Isaiah says here at the end of verse 4. He says, He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. One Old Testament scholar named Walter Kaiser wrote this about that verse. He said, the Messiah will demonstrate perfect justice before all peoples as he champions the cause of the poor and the oppressed. He will spill his wrath over on the wicked as they're dealt the stinging blow of his judgments. Just one word from his mouth will be enough to slay them. Thus, he will not pull back from dealing with evil and there will be no opposition to his government. Some of you, I know, you, you ache and you yearn in your heart to see justice brought to this world, in particular for those who've been deprived of justice, the, the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized. I wonder if it does it thrill your heart to know the Messiah brings a kingdom of justice. Now, we all, we all know that often those who have been appointed to positions of authority, those who are supposed to institute justice in the land, Often they fail to do that, right? But Isaiah says the Messiah, he will not fail at all. He will not fail to bring justice at all. In fact, here's what Isaiah says, verse 5. He says righteousness, or you could translate that Hebrew word justice. He says righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. What does he mean when he says righteousness will be his belt? I recently saw a news report where they were interviewing a, a woman named Patricia Imbroy. And Patricia Imbroy is an official with the New York City Transit System. And they were interviewing her at the, uh, the lost and found department of the MTA. Which, by the way, if you lost something on the train, it's at the 34th Street stop on 8th Avenue. All right? And they were interviewing here with all this stuff behind her. And, uh, and apparently, every year, 30,000 items are left behind on the subways by people who get off the train. Maybe you've left something on the train, and, and they leave it there. So they showed the pictures they've got in, in this place. They've got bicycles and backpacks and wallets and more iPhones than you can ever count. And she said they've even found dentures and prosthetic legs on the subway that people leave behind. All right? But one thing I would imagine they don't get a lot of at the MTA, Lost and Found are belts. I mean, listen, 2.4 million people ride the subway every single day. Almost no one ever loses their belt there. I mean, you don't lose your belt. Why? Because once you put your belt on, you know it. You put that on, you buckle it on. It's not falling off. It goes everywhere you go. It's always with you. And that's the image here. He, Isaiah says, listen, for the Messiah, righteousness will be his belt. Justice and faithfulness, the sash he ties around his waist, he will never, ever, ever, ever lose it. 
He will never fail to institute justice. So, what kind of, what is the Messiah's mission? He comes to do what? Bring a kingdom. What kind of kingdom? Well, Isaiah says first, it's a kingdom of justice, right? And then secondly, he goes on to say, it is a kingdom of peace. Verse 6 through 9. I love these verses. Uh, gives this very poetic description of all these very strange pairings of animals that are together. You've got the wolf with the lamb. You've got the cow with the bear. You've got the leopard with the goat. Listen, if you, were, if you were designing a zoo, right, you would never put these pairs of animals in the same cage together. You would never do that, right? And you would never, you would never turn the snake pit into a petting zoo so little children could go in there, pet the snakes, and put their hands in the, in the viper's, viper's den. You would never, why would you never do that? Because if you think about it, it's so obvious. Each of these strange pairings of animals, right, is a poetic description of what? a poetic description of a situation that in this world will always lead to conflict. Wolves eat lambs, bears kill cows, leopards hunt goats, snakes bite children, right? And yet, in Messiah's kingdom, when Christ returns, Isaiah says in verse 9, they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Doesn't that just make you tremble? There will no longer be this kind of division and fighting. What, between animals? No, he's talking about between people. He comes to establish this kingdom of peace. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 says about Jesus, it says he himself is our peace. Jesus, you know, gives us peace with God. When we trust in Him, our sins are atoned for on the cross. He does more than that. He gives us peace with others. He, he tears down these dividing walls of hostility between people groups, and, and, and He makes us one. Yeah, Ephesians 2 says His purpose was to create in Himself one new humanity out of the two, out of Jew and Gentile, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He brings peace. Now, I have a friend who um, years ago, he served in the Peace Corps in the Marshall Islands. Marshall Islands is a group of small islands in, in the South Pacific. And so my friend, his name is Sean, he went over there for a few years to serve with the Peace Corps, and while he was there, he got involved in a little church, and at Christmas Eve, um, the people of this church asked Sean if he would be willing to play his trumpet in the, in the Christmas Eve service. So he said yes, and he made arrangement to play a duet uh, with another instrumentalist, another Christian in the church who happened to be from Japan. And so these two, they got up, I don't know what the other person played, but they played a duet, and they played that well-known Christmas carol, Silent Night. You know it, Silent Night, all is bright. How's it go? Calm. You know, you know the song, right? And uh, as they're playing together, this look just kind of spread across the congregation of amazement as one after another the people in this little church realized what they were seeing. You see, in the corporate memory of the people of this little island, and some of them it was a real memory from when they were kids. They remember that the last time 
the Japanese and the Americans were on their island, they were fighting in World War II tooth and nail to kill each other. And here's these two people from these once warring nations standing next to each other, performing music, praising Jesus, who has torn down this dividing wall and made them one. And someone says, oh, come on, people from different countries become friends all the time. You don't need Jesus for that. Well, maybe you're right, but, but it's, it's, it's like in that little uh, Christmas Eve service, they were just seeing with their eyes a little picture of what Messiah does with his kingdom of peace, where he takes people who might be polar opposites for, from each other, and he makes them family in his own blood. We've seen him do that here with us, haven't we, at ACC? A kingdom of peace. And so why does Messiah come? Just to give us a new religion? Oh, the world already had enough religions before Jesus came. No. He came, he came to establish a kingdom of justice, a kingdom of peace, and he came to invite us, to invite you to be part of that kingdom. For, for years, I've, uh, I've been a member of a Book of the Month club at a local Queens Public Library. That's, you know, every month we all check out the, the same book from the library, and then we read it, we meet, we meet together, we talk about, did we like the book, did we not like the book? Yeah, it's, you know, it's a nice way to meet people, and, and, uh, and, and just kind of fun. But anyway, one, one month we read, this, uh, we read this novel. I didn't really like it. I thought it was boring. But it, the novel traced, it traced the life of this one character, this woman whose name was Daisy, just all the way through her life until she's in her 90s. At the end of the book, this woman is in the hospital. She's dying, and the hospital chaplain comes to visit her and tries to lead her to faith in Christ. It was you know, not a Christian book, but that's what happened in, in, in the novel. And we're talking about that last scene, and one of the members of the book club, she said, you see that? That's why I hate Christians. They're always trying to evangelize people. They're always nagging you into converting. And you know, that may be true, right? But isn't it such a different picture that Isaiah gives us here of the Messiah? He doesn't come to try to nag you into converting. He doesn't come to try to, you know, pressure you into being a religious person. No, it's such a different picture. He comes to establish a kingdom a kingdom of justice, a kingdom of peace, and he comes to invite you to be part of it. Verse, verse 10, it says, in, in that, that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples, just like a flag on the mountaintop for everyone to see, inviting everyone to come. The, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him. And his resting place will be glorious. Well, who is the Messiah? This is mysterious. He's, oh, he is the root and the offspring of David. He's, he's the one in whom the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, right? He's, he, is, he is human and yet some, in some sense eternal God. New Testament says he is Jesus. Why does he come? He comes to bring justice to this world. He will do it. He will do it. He comes to restore peace to this world. He will do it. He will do it. He comes to bring this kingdom, and he comes, listen, to invite you to be part of his kingdom. Have you responded that, to that invitation? He's inviting you and me. 
and he will come. Amen.